yeah, let's talk and chat. Welcome, this is In the Ring Podcast. Ben Oliver, Eliza, yeah, that's the team. Time to get real, this is In the Ring. Yeah, In the Ring, baby. Yeah, welcome to another episode of In the Ring. You are here with the uh, voice of your choice, Oliver. And I have another very special guest, uh, Caitlin. Say hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being on. You're welcome. Um, Thanks so, for having me. Of course, of course. <laughs> we, we, we love, In the Ring loves getting fresh blood in the uh, in the center of the ring. So Livening it up. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, so Caitlin is uh, from Boston, and uh, she is, uh, she works at Tufts. She does a lot of work with art, but I'll, I'll let... Caitlin, why don't you actually say, because you can describe this much better than I can. Yeah. Um, so I work in the university art galleries. I work as an exhibitions coordinator. So I kind of am a logistical queen of making sure all of our programs run, all the art gets hung where it needs to go. And I also help with like designing and some curatorial decisions and kind of anything that you don't know that needs to happen to make an art exhibition work is what I do. Wow. wow. So how, how many, how long have you been doing that? And how many exhibitions have you done? Like, okay. tell us more. Yeah. So I'm an artist myself and I, all my degrees are in either studio art or art history. So I've been in the um, art world for a while, but I've had this job about three years. I got it after I got my master's in fine art and, you know, timing worked out and I was able to get this job and I've been like promoted through it. So I didn't start off as the coordinator. I started off as a preparator, which is a more um, kind of hands-on like art installer. So I was just doing more of the actual installation work. Mm-hmm. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then I've been doing this new job for about a year and a half as well. But I don't know. I like feel like I've tra- <laughs> like, trailed <laughs> off. Um, no, I love art, and I've always loved it. I've always wanted to be around it, so it's kind of like a win-win situation. Most artists don't get to be famous artists, and I never really wanted to be a famous artist. I was, like, a maker from a very early age, but I never really thought of myself of, like, kind of wanting to just be a living, working artist. I never thought of that as, like, a career um, that I was really interested in or necessarily, like, wanted to, like, try to attain. It's It's really hard life. Most artists that try to do that are, like, doing two to three other jobs or they're like making things on Etsy to like kind of sell as like side work while they're real art practices somewhere else so there's a lot of like um sacrifice that artists have to make in order to like kind of attain this goal that really only one percent of artists can get to so and then there's also a question of like well who am I what's my voice why do I think that people need to see what I create it's kind of there's a lot of ego um and drive when you're an artist and it's kind of like people all either think of two artists where it's like, oh, it's like the depressed, like suicidal artists because they're like starving and can't get by like the Vincent Van Gogh or you're like the uber successful, like celebrity artists like Jeff Koons where, or like Andy Warhol where you're kind of like an entity in yourself and your ego is like your artwork. And those are kind of like the polar opposites of where artists think they need to like be between. Um, And I just wasn't kind of, I'm not an ego driven person. And I think there's, I think art's really important to what's dictated in culture. So if you look back at periods, a lot of really good art happens out of like problems. It's like war or political strife or things that like are really soul crushing and human like 
during humanity. So a lot of great art comes from that and a lot of great art reflects what's happening during those times. So it's kind of like we're in this political bubble right now of like what's gonna happen next and it's kind of like I think a lot of artists need to question who what their voice is and why they think their voice needs to be heard over other people. It's like why do I feel the need to create something that so people can see like is it gonna be is it culturally helpful? Is it helping society in any way? Is it helping uh, like a progression of some sort and if you're really not doing that then I kind of question why you want to be an artist wow that's a, that's a <laughs> wow that's a lot um, yeah. I, I mean so obviously right now we're in one of the most polarizing times in recent history mm-hmm. um, probably in, in American history this is maybe since the Civil War yeah um, do you see kind of in the art scene do you mm-hmm. see a lot of response to that and a lot of new art a lot of growth to to reflect that strife or do you is it kind of is it something where it happens and then there's kind of a reaction period to it how, how do you envision that I mean yeah as soon as Trump got elected it was like immediately artists I mean artists are there are definitely conservative artists out there but there's it's a very few and far between that most artists are pretty liberal and progressive and you know they want they're very democratic in a lot of ways and not Republican. I don't know. I think maybe I've met like one or two Republican artists. It's a little <laughs> weird. Um, but they're immediately after the election happened, people were doing like fuck Trump art. Like that was just like inherent. And it kind of is, there's good, uh, there's good voices in that. And then there's bad voices in that. Like I am on the level of like everything is art, but there is such a thing as bad art and good art and taste dictates that based on like obviously personal taste art's always going to be subjective but then it's also like culture um kind of like the main leaders in like art movements in terms of curators um kind of also decide what you're looking at is good or bad they're the kind of the voice that like leads the artist voice but so there's a lot of funk like fuck trump art made immediately but a lot of it's kind of just hitting one no it's kind of like it's Trump's an easy target. It's really easy to make fun of him. It's really easy to make mo- it's really easy to make art about him being a terrible person. Like, you know, um, like comic book, like comic artists are like, you know, have a lot of like fodder, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's like progressing or making people think in a way that's like beneficial. So I'm there's a lot of um, I think a lot of people are also just talking about like globalization and because there's a, this nationalist movement not only in America but in Europe and other places that you know are like colonized white spaces or well they're the colonizers colonized um, and that they've kind of been you know in this power dynamic where they've had control of the world and now because of resources and this and that getting spread out like globalization's a thing and like people that have had power their whole lives are seeing are afraid that they're going to lose that power and so we have all this like nationalist movements happening right now and so I think it's more interesting when artists are kind of talking about things in like a wider spectrum instead of just being like painting a picture of Trump looking like terrible it's like okay yeah great like but what like how is that helping anything it's like yeah Trump's an idiot you made a painting about him being an idiot like that's not something that necessarily interests me in terms of like being a good artist versus something where it's like oh I'm gonna make this project where I'm talking about being colonized and how it still feels to be a brown person in this country where I have no voice and I have this and that and what um, an art like that looks like I think it's a lot more interesting so that's that's an interesting point 
so what I hear from you is that it's like a responsibility mm-hmm. to not just to create art like it's one thing to just take shots at something mm-hmm. but to actually use your art to promote an overall social message mm-hmm. um, and it sounds as if some people are doing that mm-hmm. but not everyone is right uh, and I, I think that's kind of reflected to some extent in society that mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are armchair critics who will sit there and just say like you know I really don't like Trump yeah or I really don't like President Obama or I really don't like well whoever it is yeah and but they're not motivated to take the next step mm-hmm. so like in the like the take the the, the gun control argument right mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who, every time that there is a mass shooting, there are people who come out on both ends who say something, Mm -hmm. but they never actually do anything. They never actually take the opportunity to make some sort of, to take some sort of action followed up from that. Do you think that that is, do you think that that's an artist's responsibility to always use their art to promote their voice and their message, or is that something that just separates I hate to say this, regular artists from great artists? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a tricky question because, again, it's kind of like I believe every artist has their right to make whatever they want. Like, who am I to tell you that you have to be political or that you can't be political? Or I think there is a lot of taste involved where it's like, okay, like, I mean, there's a lot of, like, ownership with art making right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of artists think that they can only make work that, like, kind of relates to them. So it's like, as a white woman, I'm not going to make work about being a black man in America right now. That's, like, not appropriate. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Um, But there are, there was a painter that got a lot of trouble for it. She, like, um, made a painting. She was a white woman. She made a painting about Emmett Till. And it's kind of like, who is this white woman to talk about this black mother's, like, tragedy? And... So there is a lot of like weird ownership of like what you can and can't do as an artist, but at the same time, I don't really want to be a censor. I don't believe in censorship. I don't think I should be dictating what artists can and can't do. I think it's important that artists use, like if you're a creative person, that you use that in some form of positive like way. But I mean, some artists, art is material-based and they're gonna make like abstract paintings because they're really interested in like color and like how the paint moves and this and that and it's like that's fine and there's an audience for that art absolutely because sometimes people I mean art is like a form of escapism just like movies sometimes people want to go and they want to like research and they want to like fight what there are they want to like know why this is good and why this is bad and what that means and sometimes people just want to look at a pretty painting that's true you brought up a good point though or or one that I often actually find myself refuting that Mm -hmm. Um, that a white woman has a painting about a black man in Emmett Till mm-hmm. and that people say, who are you to be able to, to, to comment on that? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like as a, as a person of color in this country that oftentimes people of color feel as if like we have to stand on our own mm-hmm. apart from mm-hmm. the, the white community. Right. And I always tell people like you do realize that Brown v. Board was only litigated and won because there were white attorneys. Mm-hmm. Like, the strength of civil rights, the strength of the movements is not in black people standing on their own yeah. or Asian people. or Hispanic. It's, it's a coalition of people that in order for you to affect change, you need people who are in power mm-hmm. to be willing to be your partners. Because 
as long as if you don't have power in a system you're not able to impact change i agree with that completely and it's really like bringing that up is like really interesting because right now because of this kind of who am i what is my voice movement that artists are like questioning about themselves um a lot of like cis white male artists are kind of like well do i have a place in this world anymore because the art community is like you know white men have had their time in history and art was forever and people are kind of like yeah i don't really care about your voice anymore because i want to hear from all the marginalized communities that have been constantly pushed aside in our history Mm -hmm. like now is our chance to actually like do something and give people a voice and most museums are still institutionally like very white spaces like all curators and directors of museums are white people like that's definitely a thing and most of the artists are still white male artists but there is like a sign of changing that and so a lot of the students that I work with I work with like MFA students and like a lot of these like young white men are like oh do I have a place anymore blah 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 blah. and it's kind of like a like you're still worried about yourself (laughs) so that's like problem number one like why are you so concerned about like this is affecting you why don't you think about how this is affecting everyone else and then also kind of like you know it's not the end of the world to give somebody else your voice like I talk to like men are always like how can I advocate how can I do this how can I be helpful to women or this or that and it's kind of like and I'm like honestly the power dynamics are not going to really shift until people that are in power say like no I don't want this power anymore so unless you have a if you get the job offer unless you say no actually you should give it to the person of color no actually you should give it to the woman things aren't going to change so like and honestly you can be an advocate and that's great and you can be supportive in this type of way but unless you're really willing to like step to the side like so that that's a, that's interesting though because i mean you're basically like you're basically saying that people have to completely sidestep their own advantage or they'd have to at least like do it in a way where it's like it's starting to happen in the movie industry where like co-stars and things like that it's like oh like um like jessica chastain was like oh this um i forget the actress's name but she's like my like black co-star she's not getting paid as much as me like i'm not gonna like do the movie unless you pay her the same salary as me so it's like you can advocate in those type of ways where it's like she's not losing anything she's only like empowering somebody else right no that's that's very no that's that's very fair because you you have other situations where Mm -hmm. if you're you know in the business world if you're the person who's in power Mm -hmm. you have the decision to say i'm going to make a concerted effort to make sure that people at a higher are a diverse group of people exactly and that there's a value in that diversity exactly do, do you find in in your work how, how do you find yourself encouraging or making sure that people who are mostly marginalized in mm-hmm. society actually have a place yeah well that's like so with the contemporary art um in the gallery that i work at we have two main galleries in different locations and because we run within the academic year because we're pedagogical so we only want to be kind of functioning while the students are there that's like the purpose of being like a university gallery Mm -hmm. is that we do it in two terms so we have like the fall show and a spring show but we Mm -hmm. have two spaces so we have four shows every year so you know we can show a lot of different things and kind of like hit all of our bases every year which is great so one of the shows we had in the spring was all about calling um like it was called a decolonial atlas and it was basically all these latinx and indigenous artists making work Uh, making contemporary work about what it means to be indigenous latinx and kind of how that identity is like translated in a white colonized space because it was all american um 
Central and South um, American artists. So it's kind of like all those spaces have been colonized to what de- to a degree, and what that kind of means in terms of how their life is now. Okay. So you know we make very distinctive decisions of like who to show in that type of way, and it's like we just. The other show we had in the spring was a female artist, like, solo show. And, like, she was making just abstract paintings, so it wasn't talking about anything political. But the fact that we chose a female artist to have a solo show is important. So as a curator and as, um, like, an exhibition, if you're running a space, I think it's very important to, like, think about who you're showing, who you're deciding to give an audience to. And that's a big responsibility. And some people, you know, it's hard when you're with, and we actually get a lot of freedom because we don't, we're in a university, so the money's there. We don't have to worry about attendance or this or that. But if you work for, like, the MoMA or, like, a big institution, like the MFA in Boston, then you kind of have to make – you have to do shows that are going to, like, make you money. So you have to do these blockbusters of, like, you know, there's, like, this terrible show at the museum. It's called Casanova, and it's, like, really sexist and racist, but it's, like, a bunch of just, like, paintings of, like, Italy and France and white people. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's kind of, like, they have to do that because, like, most of the people that get donate money to the museum are like old white people and so like they do these shows to cater to that so it's kind of like we have a lot more freedom of who we get to show and we get to show a lot more interesting art i think because we work within this in a different institutional structure that's very that's that's interesting you mentioned that i mean so because i i think part of what you're highlighting also is people and people put on art based upon who is paying Mm -hmm. right so if you're going to actually um, change some of the artists, one way is your way, which is where you know you, you put on people, you know you, you do what you can to make sure that these people have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. The other way is that people who the, the, the deep pockets mm-hmm. behind these communities also have to have also have to be willing to say, "I want to see this type of art." Exactly. And if you're not going to do that then I'm not going to give you my money. So, And a lot of times they have to reach, in order for a collector like that or mm-hmm. the big money people to say that, these people have to reach, like these artists have to reach like a certain stature because then they're like a celebrity or their value is very different. So when like a Kende Wiley who like did Obama's portrait, um, when, you know, he he's in a lot of museums because he's like, you know, a star black artist. So those artists get to have the opportunity but then there's a lot of people that don't have that kind of um that don't have that what is the word they don't no one knows their names yet so they're not Mm -hmm. as interested they don't know that they want to see their work so that their work is valuable so from so from your perspective then if you if you were you know going to nuke the system basically (laughs) and you were you were trying to figure out a way to to get because I think this is also an issue across race and across gender, but particularly yeah. it impacts uh, marginalized groups much more. Right. How would you, from front to back, how do you actually get these individuals who are working on their art, who are quote-unquote no-name mm-hmm. individuals, in museums to get them the opportunity mm-hmm. to showcase their talent to where they can say, look, my work speaks for itself, let you let judge me by my voice and not by some other criteria where I don't have the even the platform or opportunity to even get there. I think we honestly need to change a lot of like our 
economic structure when it comes to the art world and the art market because I mean there's a lot of articles written where it's like you have to be you have to be previously rich in order to become a rich artist because to be a working artist like I said earlier you have to sacrifice mm -hmm. a lot because you know, a lot of people aren't paying the bills with their art so they're not having the, op the same amount of opportunities maybe somebody that doesn't have to have a job that can spend all day in their studio can reach out to like um, residencies and grants and museums and this and that and they can find opportunities because basically they they have a full-time job as an artist because they already have their they're independently wealthy so they have they don't have to worry about the economic struggle so they have a lot more opportunity for them mm -hmm. versus some people that you know they're struggling they don't necessarily have the time or the energy to always be hustling in the same way um, so that I honestly think we have to change the way we structure how we value art and how art is like attained in our society because basically it's based on the object. How valuable is the object? And then it's if the object becomes valuable, then it's okay. Oh, how valuable is the person behind the object? And is are they willing to invest in this and that? And that's why a lot of people don't invest in female artists because it's like oh if they have children and this or that, then maybe they're not making work anymore, and then maybe they're they fall off the radar and they're not deemed successful anymore. So I, I would really love it if we kind of had this endowment in the like, set up in the government where we could kind of work where artists apply, can have salaries, like a working wage, where they just are paid to be artists as like a normal job, like any salary position. And then they maybe have residencies with museums or maybe they're so often like curator visits, this and that. and um, they're, it's not about how valuable is the object that they're making more it's like they're just valued as like an artist in general okay. so that's never going to happen because <laughs> the government doesn't spend any money in art and like they're cutting the NEA anyway so who knows but I would love it to be kind of this thing where I mean that's what it used to be where artists were just paid to be artists and then like you know they have the time to find opportunity and this and that and find the audience do you find that the community in, you, you live in Boston, so talk to me a little bit more about how the difference between the art community in Boston versus the art community maybe in New York, or is there, mm -hmm. or in other areas that you may have been? Yeah, um, yeah, art is valued in different ways in very different places. Um, like in Europe, there's not, there's contemporary art in like Berlin, and then and in Paris but for the most places that's all about the antiquities like no, if you're not like a Renoir painting like who cares like because I mean that's where all that stuff came from like that's mm -hmm. like their bread and butter so it totally makes sense for like all their museums are like old museums they're not really showing a lot of contemporary work so there's like to be an art historian or this or that makes a lot of sense but to be a working artist in Europe unless you're going to move to Berlin or Paris it doesn't really make sense um versus and then it's kind of like with any other profession where it's like it's clicky you got to like know the people like that's how you get ahead it's like there's the circle and you find your way into the circle and that's how you make it so Boston you know there's a lot of good art schools in Boston so there's a lot of great young artists but the work that is shown in Boston is usually pretty safe it's pretty it's feeding into this rich like people going to the Cape so people want like seascapes and like ocean views and this and that but because that's like what they're like decorating their beach house with so and that's fine if you want to make those paintings I'm not shitting on making those type of paintings but that's not really what I'm interested in mm -hmm. so if you're an artist that wants to like 
make decorative art like Boston's like a good space for that but a lot of people that get their MFAs and are really contemporary artists end up moving because it doesn't really like feed you don't really feel like you can have a voice or it's feeding into that community with contemporary work so you know there's still like the big dream of like going to New York everybody a lot of artists still move to New York and then LA is becoming like a huge new hub for artists um, so I'll be interested to see it's just become like people are just going there like the last few years so I don't know LA is so spread out that I don't know how that community is going to really work like New York is still like a lot of old money a lot of the same people supporting the art um, you know there's a lot more opportunity in New York but there's a lot more competition but I mean the galleries they're actually showing contemporary work so if you want to make contemporary work that's like a place to be you just have to like get your foot in the door somehow and then in LA there's a lot of room so a lot of people move their studios out there but because the world's getting smaller and smaller people aren't really like living necessarily where they show so where they they have room in LA once they get to a certain stature the um they'll like move to the middle of the nowhere and they can just like ship everything or their gallery will ship everything and it's fine they just want the room but I don't know if the community in LA how it's going to really function because it's so everything's so spread out I don't know if it'll be I mean there's definitely like pockets of where things happen and where contemporary galleries are and their museums show a lot of contemporary work um, really good so we'll see how it develops awesome so so transitioning a little bit because um, you're you're also you're in Boston so Talk to me a little bit more about some of the protest side. Because I mean, some people would say that uh, Boston has been at the center of a lot of protests. Mm-hmm. Um, not not necessarily going all the way back to Tea Party days, but yeah. just um, in the current time, there's been a lot of protests about president, um, specific policies, uh, mm-hmm. women's equality, that sort of stuff. And I, I, I get, this, get the sense that you're... Um, involved in that scene. Um, <laughs> yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's one thing. Um, when I first moved to Boston, I didn't really, like, think about its history in terms of, like, being the first to really do a lot of things, being, like, such a progressive, um, like, liberal city. I didn't, hadn't really thought about how, like, um, how it started in the revolution and how they were the first to um, legalize gay marriage and, like, all their, like, their health care is really great and all this stuff. I never really, like, wrapped my head around that. And then, like, the election happened and like I went to the women's march and Elizabeth Warren spoke and she like talked about all that history and talked about how like you know we're not going anywhere people that are like from Massachusetts people that are from Boston we've always like strived to like set the curve Mm -hmm. and I really was like oh that's like I never really appreciated that about Boston before I really find that interesting I'm just kind of like living in the now of Boston but I never really thought that it was kind of always this space where progressive statements had happened so it's really that's one thing I really appreciate about Boston but yeah I mean it's a it's a really liberal it's like a lot of high there's tons of universities tons of hospitals so it's a lot of highly educated people that um super progressive it's a very international space so I think I mean there's been protests with everything with the Muslim ban with um you know the women's march there's been two of them i went to both of those like the family there's been like a march with the immigration and the separation of families um you know there's there's a lot of work that happens with like black lives matter there's a lot of work that happens with the poor people's campaign which is something that martin luther king started in the 60s and it's been i forget it's a the anniversary of it was this year and so they did a like a um 
it's like a 40 year anniversary and they did a rehash of um the poor people's campaign so there's been like protests where people sat in front of the, in the streets in city hall and kind of just sat there and said we're not going anywhere until we're arrested because they're talking about like you know equitable housing equitable wages and you know there's boston's also really interesting because it's a very segregated place still like yeah. um there was a lot of redlining that happened there um the bus routes really kind of like messed up the city a lot for a time um you know when they were desegregating the schools and started bus routes to my kind of get like the black students at the white school and the white students at the black schools like i mean there's a lot of rioting with that and there's a lot of still really weird division of spaces because of those um and now it's it's just you know the schools are expanding and expanding and that's pushing more and more immigrants and people of color out so the center of the city is all these like white young college kids Mm -hmm. because their parents are just like want them to live like right by their university and then kind of this like the more south or the more north you go the more diverse the kind of neighborhoods become um like the neighborhood I live in now people said 10 years ago it was like the hood and it was the ghetto and this and that and like I think I only see like white northeastern bros now so yeah well yeah it's it's amazing how fast um yeah. gentrification can happen yeah I, I, some of the areas that you're that you're that you're a part of mm-hmm. um I remember like you turn on the news you're like yep let's see let's, let's see how many people got shot today exactly um yeah that's used to be but there's just so it's it's a it's a weird space. There's a lot of weird distribution of wealth. There's like super rich. I mean, it's kind of like the it's like kind of what a representative representation of the country. There's really really rich people that have a lot of resources, and there's really really poor people that have like you know nothing. And you know the train doesn't run all the time, so there's like transportation needs and yeah, it's it's, it's a tricky space. It's like highly progressive, but it's also a lot of the wealth is not distributed equitable. So, so I, I always ask this question to um, to liberal guests and liberal people. Mm-hmm. There is the idea that you know you have in the country um, this very segregated viewpoint. So um, you could say this has happened since the inception of the country. That um, there is the urban city view versus the rural country view, mm-hmm. and that those that view typically defines liberal versus conservative mm-hmm. and there's the idea that um the problem isn't that you know concert that people live in rural communities mm-hmm. the problem is actually that um liberal cities are bastions of uh thought they're bastions of art they're ba- like all of this progress all of this knowledge is centralized in these hubs Mm -hmm. and so the idea is is that in order for you to actually diffuse that knowledge you need to bust up the cities yeah and people who live in boston people who live in a a progressive area live in a place where you're not going to be shunned for being gay or you can Mm -hmm. put your art out there or whatever they have an obligation to actually move and integrate these rural areas that have um, a more conservative thought process right. where there is no art scene, where there is no mm-hmm. acceptance of people of different faiths or different color mm-hmm. or different creed or whatever. Yeah. Um, do, you f- do you feel as if living in Boston and being a part of the community that, that you're mm-hmm. in, that 
there's an obligation on your hand, on your end to go to areas to go to people who don't necessarily agree with you who don't see the world the way that you do and spread yourself there um i don't know if i feel like there's an obligation but i do feel like us as liberals as a group of humans we need to really think about how we're distributing like things because you know people talk about like chicago it's like oh this like blue dot and this like sea of red in the Mm -hmm. midwest and like you there's you know you look at the country and yeah it's like la new york all these big cities on the coast for the most part are like these blue specks within Mm -hmm. the red and i think there's like this elitist attitude with that where it's kind of like oh like I'm better than thou, I'm smarter, I'm educated, I have this and this and this, like, look at all these, like, dumb, ignorant people, they don't know what they're doing, da-da-da-da-da. They're hicks. Yeah, and I think we need to really, like, stop looking at our, like, little blue islands as, like, oh, we're, like, in a little paradise, and, like, kind of ignoring, because people aren't necessarily dumb, they're voting that way for reasons, and so you have to really kind of understand the psychology behind why they would want to vote for somebody that, I mean, it Republicans are smart to the fact that they can get poor Republicans to vote against, like, social programs. Like, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like liberals set up social programs to help alleviate, like, poverty, and people that are poor will still vote against those. Like, So you have to understand, like, why they're doing that instead of being like, oh, they're just dumb. No, that's, like, that's not great, and it's not a way to, like, kind of convince anybody otherwise. Like, I think it's really like pertinent that liberal people don't necessarily come at a conservative person being like I'm smarter than you I'm better than you I live in a city so I have all of this experience I think it's kind of you know they they there's a lot of people that I grew up around that like just live out of necessity that Mm -hmm. they don't have time to think about school or art like why do they care about art they need to like they don't have enough money to pay their bills like Mm -hmm. they don't have enough money to like feed their kids they don't like worrying about whether like an artist is making something creative or awful is like not on their radar nor should it be necessarily Mm -hmm. so i think we need to think about how we can really make education more accessible i mean public schools are not funded well teachers aren't paid well like kids just and we're also not teaching kids to have opinions like we're teaching kids facts that they have to memorize I never once questioned anything until I got to college. Like, all I was doing was just whatever the teacher told me, I just had to, like, reiterate that, regurgitate it onto the test, and get a good grade, and that was that. You're not taught, like, critical thinking. You're not taught how to debate. You're not taught anything. You're taught whatever whatever the teacher says is right, that's what you're taught. So if you're getting mm-hmm. taught from conservative teachers, which you are, you're going to look at the world in a very conservative viewpoint. You're just, like, continuing that. So I think it's more, I think it's less about, oh, I'm like this white liberal savior and I'm going to go into these poor communities and like teach everybody how to be a good liberal. (laughs) I think that's the wrong mentality. I think it's more about giving people opportunities to like find their own, like whatever they're like wanting to question, whatever they need to question in order to get to the place that, you know, is beneficial for them. But there, I push back a little bit though, because there is an obligation there's an obligation, though, on the part of those who have, and those who have, if you have a, a, a defined opinion on something, mm-hmm. which a lot of liberal communities do, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that you're going in to save them, mm-hmm. but that you have the ability to impact their lives in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So, for example, 
there are teachers who are incredibly skilled at what they do um, that are more liberal affiliated who have the ability to choose between going to a rural community or going to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. They choose San Francisco because they say, well, I want to be in a place where people are like-minded to me. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that that one person, you must go mm. save the rural Alabama. Yeah. But it's that if collectively we all make the decision to go to San Francisco, then San Francisco becomes ultra-liberal mm. and Selma, Alabama becomes remains what it is. So someone or something has to make the decision that we're going to actually go into that community and try to impart knowledge. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think, even though I've kind of cast this in a liberal versus conservative light, I mean, there's even just basic vision of opportunity. Mm -hmm. That in some Alabama, the idea that someone can launch a startup yeah. is a foreign concept. Absolutely. But in somewhere like San Francisco or Boston or anywhere else, Startups are everyone has a startup. Yeah. You, you go to a Starbucks coffee shop, I guarantee you there's someone Somebody there it, talking yeah. about, hey, I'm working on a startup. Yeah. So, don't <laughs> yeah, you. There's so many people that are like small business owners now. It's like exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's your company? Me. But there's, to me, there is an obligation though, mm -hmm. collectively, maybe not necessarily on the individual level, but collectively, for us to say, we need to be able to go in and, into these communities that are different and say whether it's conservative, liberal, black, white, uh, Jew, Christian, Muslim, you know, uh, pal, whatever it may be, that there is an all, there is a different way of living yeah. and that there is a different opportunity. And if we don't actually strategize and figure out a way to be able to do that, you're going to have this divide growing where people who live in rural America say, you don't understand my life. That the only option for me is go to high school until I'm 16, drop out, and go work on a farm. Exactly. Or go work on a, as a mechanic. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who live in liberal bastions like New York City who say, oh, anything's possible. Everything can be done. Like, yeah. all of this sort of stuff. And as a result, the policies that you think are appropriate mm -hmm. are very different than the policies I think are appropriate. Well, I think a lot of people base decisions on where they move now, at least a lot of young people, is because there's a lot of, like social kind of ideas behind living in a city mm -hmm. where you know the nuclear family is not really existing the way it used to it used to be like you know you lived in the city when growing up and then you moved to the suburbs and that was like a stature you had made it and you settled down you had your family now it's kind of the opposite you know like people are getting married a lot later in life or at all people are having less kids if it any kids so i don't think a 22 year old that just is fresh out of college wants to move to the middle of nowhere and not have a social life mm -hmm. they want to move to the city where they can meet people and date and like have friends and have stuff to do so I think that's I think it's let it's, I think we have to also think about how to make those how to put like some money into these systems where it makes people want to be there because there's like food deserts and like you know rent's really cheap but you're what's the point of living in a really cheap place if you don't have anybody to hang out with and yeah, that's what Tinder's for. <laughs> <laughs> I would not want to check Tinder in Alabama <laughs> but the yeah so i think it's like about how yeah like i think there is and that's why there's programs like teach for america and and like this and that but i think we have to think how to spread the wealth distribution in terms of 
making i mean i don't really know it's like these big companies come in and like amazon and make their headquarters in places and then like people will come and that's nothing that's definitely not what you want so you know for whatever reason there's always trending cities like you know austin was a really trendy place to go like nashville is a really trendy place to go like these smaller cities that people are starting to like kind of flock younger people are starting to flock to and kind of like build out that's not really sustainable either so i don't really have like an answer for this like it's like a conundrum of like how do you get liberals into conservative pockets but you know even places like st louis like st louis has been through a lot of like rioting and this and and they've had a lot of um you know bad things happen there where they are still like rebuilding like no one's moving to st louis like that's kind of a dying city almost um and so the people that are like stuck there are just kind of like dealing with being poor and what does that mean and not having resources and not having jobs and so I don't know if there's like a real way to kind of like pocket liberals in places where there's like education happening or kind of this distribution of knowledge I don't know how that I don't see how that could economically work without kind of like ruining things but I think it's important to always stand up and like say things like if like anytime I come home definitely somebody says something racist and anytime somebody says something racist I'm like hey that's racist I think that's something that liberals can definitely do and it's not about being accusatory or like I think it's also about like being like hey this is racist because of this 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 a lot of people don't know they're being racist so I guess there's kind of like being a due diligent citizen in that type of way do you also think on the flip side that there is an obligation or a desire for conservative people to move to blue dots to bring their opinion their way of life their thoughts yeah i don't know like i feel like a lot of conservatives kind of they like the city the town that i grew up in is like a very conservative small town uneducated um most people have blue collar jobs and it's kind of just like they're generations deep where they just are in this mindset of like my parents grew up here their parents grew up here I grew up here and they don't really think about mm-hmm. moving it's not like a thought I remember I heard somebody at the airport once where like a daughter was we had been like flying over I was like flying out to LA and we were like could see the whole country and this we landed and this daughter was like oh I never knew like the country looked like this and I'd never seen that before and it was really cool seeing all the different like regions and then like her grandmother was like oh well like it's good to look but like you need to stay in Indiana and it's kind of like why is that mentality like encouraged in places like the Midwest and the South where it's like stay at your roots don't explore kind of just do as you're told like where did that really all come from it's a very scared mentality yeah no it's I mean I I was born in the South and there is a risk averse nature mm-hmm. to people there where they, they believe that, you know, if you go to Boston or Chicago, that, you know, it's like going to Europe. Mm-hmm. And that there is a fear that their way of life mm-hmm. is very different than our way of life. Yeah. But I, 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 al- I always say this, though, that. As much as liberals may not agree with conservatives and conservatives may not agree with liberals, Mm -hmm. that there is much more that unites us than what actually divides us. Absolutely. And for conservatives, I I, I fear on the liberal side a lot of times. I'm not talking about 
the, the Sean Hannity insanity. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. But for there, but there are a lot of conservatives that are out there who, but they're not bad people. They're not insane. They're not irrational. Right. Um, sometimes it even makes sense what they're voting for. I mean, if yeah, if, there are a lot of times they're voting because they don't. They have. I mean, a lot of conservatives vote the way they do because of money. Exactly. Exactly. They vote. They they say. You know, I own a business and I want less regulation and less taxes on me. Makes it's logical sense. But, but it's also like this individual like mentality where it's like I understand that that's how this is affecting you and X, Y, and Z. But what about people that don't have the means? Like, don't you want to? You have the means, so don't you want to pay a little bit more so somebody that can't afford food can get food stamps? No. Like, you know, I, <laughs> you know, the country is in this like really like me, me, me space. Like everyone's just only concerned about like what's affecting them. And I think that's why the country is in this kind of, like, chaotic state. It's like, you're not thinking about how we need to, like, be a whole unit because we all have to function together in some way or the other. But you're just thinking about how things individually affect you. And that's, like, a huge problem. I mean, that's true. It's, it's I guess my, my, my challenge to, pe- to people, because I, I, I have a lot of liberal friends, mm-hmm. and my challenge to them is always, don't just, like, okay, it's like, like President Trump, right? Like... <laughs> Don't just hate the guy because you just hate the guy. Right. Like, hate the guy because there's a reason for for not liking right. him. Like, That's disagree. Because, like, there are times when if, if President Trump said, you know, came out tomorrow and said, I'm ruling out Obamacare, basically. Again. Yeah. If you liked Obamacare under President Obama, but now you say, I hate it because President Trump said it. Right. That's an irrational statement, and it doesn't allow a conversation to happen. Mm-hmm. Because you're just against him. Be against him because you say I don't agree with, um, you know, I don't agree with any of his foreign policy decisions. I don't like the fact that, you know, he seems to, you know, lick Putin's ass. Um, I don't like the fact that, you know, he has a PP tape. Whatever it is, <laughs> but like, be against that. Right. I I just feel as if there's conservatives do this as well with liberals, but mm-hmm. I feel as if on both sides there is an issue of being able to talk to each other and not at each other or past each other. Right. I, I, I don't know. I, I get off my soapbox. When it comes to the politics in this country, um, like the two-party system just doesn't work. If you go to Europe, it, it's like they have 12 candidates. Yeah. It's like, you know, the person that wins got like 30% of the vote. You know, right. It's like, you know, it's so, because it's realistically structured there. They're getting funding through their governments. They're not having to worry about lobbyists or like personal donations. They don't have like big business in their back pocket, you know. They're actually being politicians and doing what is right for the people, so the people get to have a lot of options, which is great. This mm-hmm. two-party system of like left and right just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense because, like, yeah, of course you're not going to be. I mean, I don't. I can't. <laughs> it's really hard to think about. Like, if I agree with any of Trump's policies right now, I don't think I do. But I haven't gone through a checklist of everything. I'm sure there's still stuff left over from past administrations that he carried over that I'm fine with. But, um, you know, there is always gray and we need to like have more chances to like explore what's the gray because, you know, a lot of people weren't happy with even who the two candidates were. Like the fact that Trump got the Republican nominee and the fact that Hillary got the Democratic nominee, like a lot of people weren't satisfied with those. And I just think we need a lot. um, I mean, we need to get out of like the way we structure our political systems and how they're funded by these two huge like corporations essentially and they have you know everybody has an agenda that's true a lot of people want to feel the burn yeah, yeah. not the <laughs> yeah. std 
Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's that's fairly accurate. Like, I, I think there's so many issues in the world, and, and most people are. A lot of people are single issue voters. Um, you know, pretty much they show up and they say, you know, what's your stance on gun control? Mm-hmm. Depending upon that, okay, I'm going with this person, and yeah. that's and and that's it for them. But there are but people. I very rarely do I find someone that says, I am 100% in agreement with all of the Democratic policies, mm-hmm. or I'm 100% in agreement with all the Republican platforms. Right, absolutely. And, they're, and, and the platforms themselves have kind of gone out the window, because, I mean, you think about President You're Trump. You're voting for the person. Exactly. Like, yeah. President Trump now is very protectionist, but traditionally, Republicans have been very much about free trade and, you know, economic opportunity, and, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be able to just sell my sell business everywhere I can. Yeah. Um. So you're getting to the point now where you say there are people out there who are very much economically conservative, but very socially liberal, and there are people who are, you know, all over the spectrum, you need more candidates in the actual picture to be able to really vote for the right person yeah. or the person for them. So that's, that's very, that's very interesting. It's very interesting. So, um, so I know we're, I know we're hitting close to, to time. Um, did you, do you have any, want to have any parting thoughts? <laughs> No, I'm always down to talk politics. I love a good, like, political debate. I I honestly, I think it's really interesting that how personal people take politics. Like, yeah, politics is a very personal thing, and a lot of people, like, vote with their heart, vote for, with mm-hmm. their gut. That makes a lot of sense. But I never get mad when I debate people. I always just find it kind of, like, this nice, like, rigor. It's almost like sparring and boxing. It's like, oh, it's like it's exercising my brain. It feels so good to, like, talk. And I, like, I love being able to, like, express my opinions, and I love being able to have somebody express their opinions with me. And, like, I really enjoy debate and some – but some people just take it so personally. They get so heated and they, like, blow it out of proportion. They get angry and upset and then it's, like, it's, like, this really toxic thing. So (laughs) I always feel, like, great when I get into these kind of, like, discourses. But a lot of – I wish that people could have more debates without getting so emotional or getting so personal with them. That's a good thing. Uh, So so here on the podcast, I I occasionally leave us with – positive note some wisdom pearl of wisdom for for the people there so that's your pearl (laughs) there you go there you go the pearl is uh be willing to engage people who disagree without taking it so personal yeah wonderful thoughts yeah so caitlin thanks so much for being on thank you Uh, i really appreciate you being here we'll definitely have you on again absolutely and uh next time we next time we'll uh we'll bring the tequila for that (laughs) but uh As always, folks, um, we appreciate you guys listening. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, iTunes, and Stitcher. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, Thanks, guys. And we'll be in touch again next week. Bye. Thank you for coming and holding it down. I love a Ben and Eliza, they're keeping it live. Make sure you come back, yeah, one more time. Cause we're bringing the vibe. Hurry and subscribe to In the Ring.